Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as always, Paul Gilleary. Paul, it's Election Day. It is Election Day. This is it. We're finally here. I got to admit, I went right in. I voted for you, Jason. <laughs> you, you. <laughs> oh, man. My bribing finally worked. Well, <laughs> I assume most of you have voted already today, those in the United States. If you've not, then you may be listening to this while you're in a line waiting for hours. Either way, we support you doing your duty as an American citizen. For everybody outside the country, pray for us. Before we get into the uh, the main parts of today's show, obviously you need to go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, follow us on our Twitter and our Instagram, please, as well. And um, let's just get right into it, man. There's a couple bits of news before we get into our guest this week. Um, who will we be speaking about politics with and yeah. and the diversity of the Pearl Jam fan? But first of all, we haven't spoken about it yet because we're in the middle of our tribute band series. But there is a new Pearl Jam song out. It's called Get It Back. Give me your thoughts. Give me your impressions. I liked it. Um, why I love the, the, (laughs) you know, musically speaking, I thought it was a a nice reflection of how the band has evolved. I I, I love the, uh, I love Matt's intro into the song. Um, I think that, uh, Eddie's lyrics are very, they're very poignant. Um, you know, you, you, you look at lines like, uh, Frozen in time, turn on, you die to get it back. Try to reach you before winter comes. Always a place for you in my heart. You're not alone, all used up. I'd give anything to talk to you. Um, there's, there's, there's a yearning in this song. Um, obviously, you look at the title, right? Get it back. But uh, there's an idealism here too, you know? And Musically speaking, I thought the the music does a wonderful job of shifting through its movements in ways that we don't often see from the band. You know, when this song came out, I was thinking, is this Olay? You know, is this uh, is this going to be uh, one of these types of like dad punk? Kind of, I don't want to call them throwaway songs, but I mean, it, these singles that uh, don't really survive the test of time, as it were. And, you know, this one here, it, it just feels like the kind of song that I could see myself going to and actually connecting with, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, Hmm. like listening to in in a way that I think some folks connect with a song like seven o'clock. I mean, there's a really fascinating kind of different sounding Pearl Jam here. Uh, similar to the the impact that seven o'clock had on I me. Mean, I'm not saying I'm a huge seven o'clock fan, but you listen to that song and it says, "Wow, this is Pearl Jam. Huh, fascinating." And I say that not in a sleight of hand or uh, 
you know, um, you are kind of way, you know, where, where they come at you from these really interesting angles and it's very experimental and ethereal. Uh, I mean, just classic, just good rock song, but from a vantage point musically and an approach that's just unconventional to what I'm used to from the band, musically speaking. Um, so for those reasons, I really enjoyed it. I got to tell you, I don't. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate, I don't like it. Um, the guitars sound cheesy. They sound way too cheerful. You know, you're talking about a song that's yearning for something that you don't have. Why is it cheerful? I don't understand. Um, I don't like the way Ed sings the verses, especially the uh, to get it back line. He sounds so frail. Mm. And I, I realize he's 55 years old, but he still has it. He can still bring it. So I don't know why those lines in the verses sound so frail to me. The chorus, you know, gets the big distorted guitars thing, but even they sound a bit neutered to me. And Ed kind of meets that neutered energy. He doesn't really come up as much as I feel like he, he would in a chorus like that. That's yeah, It doesn't like, soar like retrograde or anything. No. For sure. But um, For me, it takes about two and a half minutes before we get to anything that, that resembles good to me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it gets the part of the song that feels like these guys are really interested in it. Um, even, but even Mike solo, Mike solo, it's the apex of the song arguably. And it feels so uninspired to me. If it's like five or six notes, there's nothing really happening, which I guess fits the rest of the song. And it just, it, it fades away. Um, it doesn't end. It just fades out, which is pretty much on brand for the song because it's probably going to fade into a distant memory for me. <laughs> so no appreciation for subtlety and nuance jason that, that that's that's not true i mean you think about the um the solo in nothing as it seems and mm -hmm. that, that's a very kind of subdued slower kind of moody song yeah that song opens with a riff a jamming riff though i mean that that you mean that, like solo? The, nothing as it seems i mean if, if I, Literally, that song comes in and it feels like it's beginning with a solo at first. Yeah, it's a lead line from Mike, but I'm saying even his solos in the song feel like there's something to it. If they feel inspired, uh -huh. this one just feels like hey, I have to put a solo on the song and just kind of plays a few notes. So it, I feel you know it was done in 2018 as part of like all these sessions for Gigaton, and for me, there's a reason why it's left off. Mm -hmm. So it didn't do anything for me. It's not one of those uh, what did Stone call them little little gems or uh, <laughs> oh yeah what, what, the millions what, what, of masterpieces millions of masterpieces yeah, it's not, not one so of the much. masterpieces okay so <laughs> moving little, on <laughs> disappointed um, in other news though the longtime manager Kelly Curtis has retired after over thirty years with the band this is a guy who who would have thought that the guy who was running Hearts Fan Club would become yeah. a manager of a band let alone a band that would go on to sell over 85 million records. You know, he met Stone and Jeff when they were in Mother Love Bone. He helped them get signed to Polygram. He was in the hospital when Andy Wood died. And he was there when Mookie Black played their first show at the off-ramp in 1990. Been repping the band since 90. 1990. 90. Nuts. I mean, he's the one that told Epic that they weren't going to do any music videos. And Epic was furious. He's the one that had the idea to do the official bootlegs in 2000, and he wanted to do it earlier uh, because he personally owned plenty of those uh, those boots that would come out from, you know, you get them at Bleecker Street, something like that, for like 60 bucks. Yeah. He had all those and was like, hey, there's money left on the table for these guys. You know, he's essentially like the band's sixth member 
you know, the mouthpiece when Ed or anyone else didn't want to be. He's kind of like the George Martin of the Beatles, but in a business sense. That's how important this guy is. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at Kelly's history, you know, I mean, the guy, I think his dad was like a publicist in Vegas or something. If I, if I read that correctly and he'd hang out and he'd see like Sammy Davis Jr. and Sinatra getting up there. And you mentioned Hart. I want to say he went to school with uh, Ann and Nancy Wilson, if I recall, hmm. from what I read. I read this Variety article in it. I, I should look this up, actually, so I'm not like misquoting something. Uh, yeah, here we go. So when in grade school, he established lifelong friendships with future Hart principals, Ann and Nancy Wilson, and with them attended the Beatles' 1966 concert at the Seattle Center Coliseum. Years later, Curtis introduced Nancy to journalist Cameron Crowe. The pair eventually married in 1986. I mean, what a, I mean, just, if that was it, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's if that was already. just it, that's incredible. And so you, you add in all the stuff that you just mentioned with Andy Wood and, and, and Pearl Jam and, and Green River and all that stuff. It, it truly is a life, man. It, it, I, I hope he writes a book one day, to be honest with you. Yeah, he should. Absolutely. Well, uh, kudos on a job. Very well done, sir. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, I think he's handed it off to his right-hand man to continue on managing the band. I'm sure they'll be in fine hands if they're no picked, question. If the person's picked by uh, by Kelly. But uh, enjoy your retirement, sir. And uh, let's move on to kind of the more main part of this show. And like I said, it is election day uh, in the United States. It's a very tense election. Uh, you and I have already voted. As have over 90 million people to this point. So, you know, you found an article on on Yard Barker that kind of made us think. It did. Um, You know, what's fascinating about this article is that it really examines... um, was it the top 25 greatest political songs ever? Mm-hmm. Right. And so you hear something like this and you're thinking of, of just some iconic, just unbelievable canonical tracks. Right. So this article came out about, about well, by the time you guys hear this, it'll be two weeks ago, but you're, I'm talking change is going to come by Sam cook, you know, um, Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn, uh, Times They Are Changing by Dylan. Just songs that defined eras. Fortunate Son. Fortunate Son, Creedence yeah. Clearwater, right? So I saw that Pearl Jam had made this list, and I'm thinking, oh my God. Like, what, uh, oh, it's going to be. What, or what, What's it going to be? So scrolling through here, and you know, I pass What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, which is just, I mean, Again, I mean, Get Up, Stand Up by, by Bob Marley and the Wailers. These songs on their own are all on greatest hits albums. So I finally get to Pearl Jam. And uh, the song that Yard Barker selected as the, you know, the, again, this is top 25 most significant political songs. Of any band of all time. Of any band of all time. And they picked Bush Leaguer. Incorrect. Incorrect. <laughs> that is not the right choice, Yard Barker. So, no. <laughs> so they, they, they chose Bush Leaguer, and uh, this, this I'm going to read. I mean, look, 
context has to be applied, right? So this sure. is from Yard Barker. Not one of Pearl Jam's most popular songs, but arguably its most controversial. The title pretty much says it all. It's frontman Eddie Vedder's shot at former President George W. Bush, specifically insinuating that he's a warmonger and not the diplomatic figure those on the right portray him to be. The band took some heat for the tune, but it did not stop them from continuing to attack another so-called Republican president. I get that. I understand the um, rationale behind the choice, but I feel like it, it's, it was, I don't want to say it's a gimmicky song, you know, but it, it's really more of just a, I don't I mean, how, how would you describe this? To, to me, it's not an iconic political song. I, I don't think there's a grand message as much a, as it is. It's a takedown. It's a takedown. Yeah, it, it's yeah. just a takedown. To me, that, that's, that, you know, a song like What's Going On or Times They Are Changing. The, these are songs that, that tackle real themes that defined eras. Yeah. I mean, this is just, it's a roast of Bush. I mean, you know they, I mean? They, would, <laughs> they would argue, I would assume Eddie and the band would argue that at the time, George W. Bush was so um, influential in going down a, a, a path that was so far off of what we thought to be a rational way. Uh, a, a warmongering way that it oh we hadn't seen anything yet we had so. not um, <laughs> but at the time it, it felt crazy it felt so far off the norm that 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 he would go on this war path that they felt like they had to really kind of hone in on him and take him down personally yeah whereas the other songs are more of like like you said the themes and, and of of anti war that kind of thing so they got us thinking you know what then is our choice for the best Pearl Jam political song, or what would be a part of a list of most of best political songs of all yeah, time? Yeah, so Yard Barker says, you know what? I don't know if we know Pearl Jam's catalog well enough. Let's go talk to the boys over at State 11 Trust. Yeah. Let's get some, uh, you know, so, some authority into this equation. <laughs> and <laughs> Obviously. And, yeah, it's obvious. And, and let's, let's find out what actually works here. So what do so you Jason, think? Well, no, no, I'm going no, so to go with you. I'm going to go with me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with me. Uh, you know, I gave this a lot of thought. I hope it's not the same I, I, I have two. I have two options I'd give. Okay. Them. Okay. So yeah. the, the first one that I would probably go with is Army Reserve. Mm, really? And, and I, yeah, I say that because I feel like if you look at the history of America, and I'm not going to do this today, but I could I could go on a very long rant about America and its relationship to war mm. and how that has really influenced what the American dream is and has become and and the role it has played in the nation that we are. And um, this song here is obviously it was written about the deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. This, this comes off of uh, Avocado, the self-titled album. It was actually one of my favorite tracks when I first heard it off that album. So it always sat heavy with me. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of family members who served in the military. And I've always been very grateful. And, and uh, I, I, I try to honor their service. I mean, it, it's hard because it's, you don't want to sound patronizing. And I've always felt like, well, maybe just living the best way that I can and doing my civic duty. These are the types of freedoms that, you know, people I love fought to protect. And so 
I'd be doing them a disservice, really, if, if I betray those types of things. But a song like Army Reserve, you hear lines like, you know, an empty chair where dad sits, how loud can silence get? And mom, she reassures to contain him, but it's becoming a lie. She tells herself and everyone else, father is risking his life for our freedoms. And it, it goes hand in hand with that, you know, let's send our thoughts and prayers line, right? Yeah. It just, it get, it gets to this point. I mean, I, I once had a, a, a veteran tell me, you know, I'm not going to get into the long story, but I, I had somebody once tell me, you know, your daughter and your kids sleep soundly because of me. You owe their freedom to me. And that really touched a nerve for me because, you know, I work hard to put food on, on my family's plate. You know, I, I give my daughter and my kids love and attention I, and, and empathy. And I, I try to show them kindness. I try to show them good judgment. I try to be everything I can to shape these kids. And this idea that, you know, a veritable stranger would have the audacity, I would say, mm. to take that kind of a viewpoint to me just kind of shows the ugliness of what war can do on so many different levels. And I'm, I'm, you know, it goes without saying, obviously, the loss of life and the, the catastrophic damage caused therein. But everybody listening knows about that, you know, but there's so many other facets of damage that get created that don't get discussed enough. And so I thought this particular song here really kind of examines the, the soulful loss, you know, and it calls into question mm -hmm. every time we send an American anywhere on a deployment and, and what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And should we be doing it? And that, and, that lesson applies to, that could apply to Vietnam. That could apply mm -hmm. to a number of wars. Exactly. So that's, so that, that was my, my, uh, that's a good my reserve, so yeah. to speak. Okay. No, no pun intended. Uh, do you want to hear the, the V track or should we go to you? Um, I'll say my track. I'll say oh. my track. Okay. Um, I thought it would take me a while to kind of sift through the, the, the ones that I thought were most uh, important. And at first I thought I was going to go to a gun control song, but I did not. <clears throat> my, my choice is WMA. Great selection. White male American. It, it is is there uh, anything more <laughs> apropos for the history and the legacy of, of this country than that, than those three words put together? Yeah. This country in many ways is born of racism and it's obviously still very much alive today. We're still fighting it and white privilege, especially concerning the police is still very much a thing. So if you're talking about, you know, that is probably the most politically consistent thing, maybe besides war, <laughs> yeah. uh, that has defined America since it's been a country and well before that. I don't know how, and it, it, like in many songs, it still becomes relevant throughout the years. That song came out in 1993. And we've talked a lot about that. We talked about WMA a few times. We had a, a mini podcast all about it uh -huh. um, right after George Floyd. So I think WMA is, for me, an easy choice for uh, top 25 political songs of all time. Yeah, it's a good call, man. It's a good call. Uh, the, the one that hit number one for me was Jeremy. 
And uh, that's what I was considering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I say that because I don't consider it purely a gun control song. It's not. I think it talks about mental health issues. Mm-hmm. It, it talks about, uh, you know, parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it talks about the, the role of schools and the role of parenting mm-hmm. in the development of our youth. It talks about how we view each subsequent generation in the role that that generation has in continuing to create a, what should be a positive legacy for this country. And uh, I feel like that song, it, it really kind of grabs you by the collar and it asks you to think on a metaphorical level, what does the youth of America mean to you? Hmm. And if, if you don't have an answer that's not symbolically or even figuratively akin to sending the youth of America in front of its own class to blow its own head off with a 357 Magnum, I mean, proverbially speaking, you know, I don't mean literally there's a whole literal conversation here too, oh, yeah. but I don't, you know, we don't have to go down that road again. Um, but, but really like, what, what are we doing with, with, I mean, I have kids, you have a kid, you know, and, and I start thinking in 25 years, like, what is the America there? And, uh, I, I don't want it to be worlds like that. Um, and, and that, that's not what I want to drive people to feel like they want to do. So it's a lot to think about. It's a much heavier song than it gets credit for. And uh, uh, I think we've got three outstanding choices that would easily trump, no pun intended, no boy. Bush Leaguer off the Yard Barker's list. I, I would agree. And I think if maybe a, uh, I mean, I don't know, there's nothing against yardbarker.com. I don't Not know them um, too well, but I wonder. Great list, by the way, from them. It just, yes. it, we just took, you know, a little umbrage with a little the umbrage. Track. I wonder all. if a if a more musically esteemed uh, publication like Rolling Stone would have a, a different opinion. Maybe they would agree more with us than you are. Maybe Barker. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I understand their choice. You know, so I, oh, I for sure I, it makes sense. It yeah, does. Yeah. Well, keeping in the theme of politics and and Pearl Jam, as is tradition for the day. You know, politics and Pearl Jam have gone hand in hand for years. As we know, Pearl Jam are very obviously a liberal band. Mm-hmm. But what happens if you have a cons- if you have conservative views, but like their music? Well, we've invited just such a person on the show this week. We'd like to welcome staff writer for the Washington Times and comic book author Douglas Ernst to the show. Hi, Doug. Hey, thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Glad to have you on, Doug. So we um we are obviously this today. As everyone's hearing this, it is election day in America, and it's a very tense time. And as we all know, Pearl Jam is a very uh, uh, active political band. And so Paul and I were thinking, well, as they are tend to be quite liberal in the things that they choose to talk about, what happens to people who are big Pearl Jam fans but are more conservative than the band, maybe actually conservative on a number of issues? And Paul uh, did find, did, did some sleuthing and found an article that you wrote, a blog post that you wrote many moons ago about Pearl Jam 20- 2011, in fact. 2011. And, uh, and so I got us thinking, hey, what's this guy doing right now? And turns out you, what, you write for Washington Times? Yeah, I've been with them for about a decade now. Time's kind of flying. When you brought it up, 
I was like, I had to Google my own blog because I didn't even remember doing it. And then I was like, oh, I remember this now. And so just from my own personal stuff on the side and then with work and then the comics and all this, like, I just totally forgot about it. And I was like, huh. So sometimes it's off my own radar and I have to remember my own writing <laughs> at this point. So is it fair to then label or call you a more conservative person, at least to the average Pearl Jam fan? Yeah, I, I've always been up front on the blog. Uh, I'm a conservative guy, uh, a military vet. So I always, they tend to generally just kind of like, you know, Hollywood tends to be like liberal, or whatever. A lot of like military vets tend to, especially uh, I was mechanized infantry. Uh, so defense issues and, and all of that. Um, definitely a conservative guy and then fiscally as well. Um, and then socially I've changed over time. I mean, we could talk about that from, you know, from well, high that's school. Kind of part of, that's kind of part yeah. of Pearl Jam's identity. Um, I mean, we have all those voters for choice shows and Gloria Steinem and talking about pro choice written on Eddie's arm and MTV unplug, all those kinds of things. So we, we can talk about that. So, um, you mentioned to me in our, in our chat earlier that you, uh, voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. That's kind of your way of, of what, where was your thought process with that? That was, yeah, that was my protest vote in 2016. I was kind of so disgusted that there's a population of like 330 million Americans and the best that the political parties can do is like Hillary Clinton and then Donald Trump, who was a Democrat for like 95% of his adult life. And then was just like, I'm going to be the Republican nominee. And then it like happened. And then I was like, well, what's the point of being a Republican, if you could just be a Democrat your whole life, and then yeah. suddenly you're the nominee for the Republican. Like, I was just like, this is weird. Everything about this is weird. Donald Trump is like boorish. He's definitely not like your typical politician. Like a lot of the he, things that he says, I would not particularly say them as a practicing Catholic. Uh, I don't like some of the way that he words things. That's the best way I could, nicest way I could put it. So in 2016, I was just like, no, I'm just tired of this. And I'm going to vote for the libertarian guy, Gary Aleppo Johnson. He didn't know anything about Aleppo. Um, that was, so that became a joke, his foreign policy. But I was like, this is just my, my protest vote saying like, you know what, uh, a pox on all their houses. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny, Doug, you say it's a protest vote and that the concept of protest is so embedded into the fabric of a lot of what Pearl Jam does off the stage. Uh, but, you know, they've made it a point in their career to use their music and their platform also as a point of protest. I, 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 for example, they wouldn't play a show in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I forget what year this was. Probably 2016? 2016, I think. Like yeah. the transgender bill? Yes, exactly. So they, they, they decided that, you know, the, the best form of protest to them was to not support that community's vision for what, what they believed was oppressive and, and um, a sign of inequality. And so when you see both yourself and the band kind of using American freedoms to, I don't want to say to further an agenda, but to, um, to encapsulate really what it means to be an American, right? Do you see that as like a, a parallel with the band, even though you're exercising the right to protest differently, or do you kind of look at it and say, well, they're doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. And there's, they're really not connected at all. Like, Oh, in terms of being possibly turned off by their 
politics? Not so much being turned off by their politics as much as almost finding like a common ground where it's like, hey, you know what? That like they understand the concept of protest and they're exercising it in their way. I do too. And maybe I wouldn't exercise my right to protest yeah, in the I same can... way. But it's one of those things where uh, we were talking before I was talking with Jason, where I've always believed that you can disagree without being disagreeable. So I respect their decision to do whatever the heck they want to do politically. If they didn't want to go to North Carolina, that's fine. And I'm not going to search out the Pearl Jam message boards and start going like on angry rants (laughs) at people or starting arguments. It's, it's one of those things where if people ask me how I feel about it, like I have, I always have opinions on it, but at the same time, like, it's like, okay, that's cool. They have their opinion that whatever, <laughs> like it, it's cool with me. I'm just looking for good music and I could appreciate good drumming and great bass players and great guitarists and lyrics that I might not, di- might not agree with politically, but I could, I could spot a good writer and somebody who has very insightful lyrics, even if I disagree with the underlying message at times. So, you know, you mentioned uh, you're an Augustinian Catholic. Right. Right. <laughs> so um, when you if, uh, let's say that you were in or at one of those two Washington, D.C. voters for choice shows, um, they had Gloria Steinem come out. It was very much about, um, you know, pushing their politicians that they were supporting. Um, abortion rights was a big thing. If you were at one of those shows, are you are you sitting there and saying, OK, I disagree with maybe what you're saying about this certain issue? Are, are you are you upset that they are taking time away from music to use the platform that they have? Or are you okay with it in, how, so do, how does that square I, with I you? I actually did see them in DC. I don't even remember what year it was. I'm losing track of time. And, and the DC audience was actually horrible. Really? I think, I think Eddie may have even like chided them because they were like all sitting down a lot of them. And I was like in the upper deck and I was like standing and I'm like, dude, I'm like closing on 40 years old. Like all these goofs are like, they're down below. They're like sitting and I'm just like, yeah, I guess maybe they're getting old. But I was like, DC has like the worst. A lot of people in DC are not from DC, right? but it was like the worst. Uh, back to your original <laughs> point, circling back. Um if I was just going to see a regular show and I paid and it was like, awesome, like, that's cool. Uh, it, like if they randomly started getting into political stuff during a, like a regular show, I'd be like, this is kind of weird. Like, what's are you going, going to the on? bathroom at that point? Or are you just, no, I don't think I'd go to the bathroom. I'd just be like, this is weird. But if the show was specifically geared towards some sort of um, pro-choice uh activism or it was a benefits concert or something for the environment. And then I went there and then I got upset uh, about what I like knew going into, like they were going to be talking about, like that would be kind of different or like, even with that one, was it the 2003 show where he was like bashing the, um, the George Bush mask or he yeah, took he it basically off and impaled the George Bush mask in Long Island. Yeah. Like stuff like that. I would be like, uh, you know, I, to me it's awkward because it's like you can't talk about raising the bar and raising political discourse and then like when you do something like that i'm like well you know like when i was a young man i tried to go see a ralph nader rally because of eddie vetter that's my like deep dark secret but nobody would go with me so i ended up not going because i wanted to i didn't want to go by myself um but you know it's just like uh, there are times when people are like, okay, we need to re- raise the bar. We need to like reach across the aisle. We need to find common ground. Where do our principles overlap? And then if I see you bashing 
like <laughs> body slam, whatever the heck, you know, a George Bush uh, mask. I'm just like, it, there's some sort of cognitive dissonance there. And I'm just like, that's not cool, man. But I love your music. So. <laughs> so when did you get into the band then? Let's just, let's just go to that point. So I want to say like mid was it seventh or eighth grade is when sort of like the quote unquote grunge bands, um, sort of came online. I think that's, uh, was maybe 10, was that 1991? Um, and so 10 was out, although Stone Temple Pilots, I actually liked them, uh, earlier than I really got into Pearl Jam, but then I heard like Temple the Dog. I was like a little late on that. Uh, obviously, but then once I heard 10, like that, that was like my weightlifting, like throughout high school, like that was like my album and Vitalogy and Verses, um, you know, speaking of like political songs, like uh, White Male American, Glorified G, all that sort of stuff. Like I love the, I love, I love those what? albums are like awesome albums. Although Jeremy, I never really liked Jeremy as I didn't think as a song. Yeah, I just thought it was people like that's like a very popular song but i'm like that's nothing like it's just not anywhere like near my top 10 mm-hmm. or or maybe even top yeah. 20 like that's the song that know. got me into the band yeah I, I like it i just i don't know it's like there's so many other pearl jam songs where i'm just like dude it's a lot better so, but i don't know basically you know you rattle off a couple of songs there glorified g wma Jeremy Garden even is was a song written about um, the, the Gulf War at the time, um, whipping. But there's not. Really... Oh, that's a good. Yeah, that's another weightlifting song that right? I like. So. <laughs> Great song. Or when um, I was mad at my parents. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but the the real political songs, as far as volume is concerned, didn't happen until later into the career. You know, your binaural riot act, uh, and obviously Gigaton has a ton right. of stuff on there. Um, you, you know. You talk about growing up, and I think feel like people are less politically established when they're young. Mm-hmm. So as people get older, they either maybe get more liberal or they get more conservative. I, obviously, you you got more conservative, I would imagine. Right. So h- how did you kind of how did it look back to the songs that were clearly liberal as you became more conservative, kind of like a glorified G kind of thing or WM? So. For me, uh, when you're younger, a lot of time it's more about like the feeling and the attitude and just like the passion that they bring. And but I could some you know when we're talking about gun control again, I can see uh, Eddie's point of view on all sorts of issues. I get that, or even like a band like Nirvana in Bloom, uh, you know, likes to shoot his gun. Don't know what it means, you know, guys that are just. Uh, they don't know why they believe what they believe. And so uh, Nirvana, Green Day, uh, these sorts of bands, a lot of times they did really cool subversive stuff from a, uh, especially if you're liberal from a liberal point of view, but like it was, it's just done really well. So I, I like, I could appreciate as a writer, I just appreciate good writing. I appreciate good lyrics. And if you're doing it really well, you're striking a universal chord where it's like, it's really almost hard to disagree with it. But then also songs tend to be almost on a, I don't want to say a bumper sticker level. Like you're not having some sort of in the weeds political discussion on something that's just like kind of a general point or like even like Bruce Springsteen was it like 41 shots um that the first time I heard that song it actually like this I'm gonna sound like a loser here I I actually started crying the first time I heard that song it like it's something inside me like it struck it me. spoke to you yeah yeah it's so much like why do we have to live in a world 
where racism exists or racial tension exists. Why does it have to be this way? Like, I don't know. There was something about that song and it just like, I just randomly, like there's tears coming down my face listening to it or whatever. And it's just like, so Springsteen's a really liberal guy. Um, Eddie's a liberal guy and they sing these songs that man of the hour, not a political song per se that off the top of my head, the first time I heard that, uh, it, it made me cry for some, I don't know why these things happen, but there's just like random songs you hear them and they, they hit something, they reach your heart. Doug, I'm curious in, in your blog, you had a review of Pearl Jam 20, the Cam and Crow doc. And uh, you said something and he said, I love their music and agree to disagree on politics. Why then would Eddie Vedder go out of his way to alienate me and countless other conservative fans who have been loyal for almost two decades? We don't know because Cam Crow didn't ask. So I'm curious. I don't know if, if this feeling that you had then has softened since, but uh, if you could go back to that place, I'm curious because you mentioned, you know, how some of these songs strike a chord, but there seems to be discord in, in that comment and understandably so. And so I'm curious could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, there are times where, like, I feel like I have liberals, and my brother is a big Pearl Jam fan. Like I said, I I used to go to Pearl Jam concerts with him. He's a liberal guy. His wife's uh, a liberal woman. I'm pretty sure they voted for Biden. I love my brother. Um, and we could go to Thanksgiving and Christmas and whatever, and we generally don't get into political fights or whatever, but it's just... I don't know. It's like, I feel like if there are liberals in my life and I respect them in what they do, there are times when you just feel like sucker punched where someone, it, whenever I feel like there's like a blanket sort of thing where it's like all conservatives like think this way or, or something along those lines, like you're a bad per person. Like if I feel like it's just like painting with this really broad brush where it's like, that's not true. Like why, <laughs> you know, and going to, um, I don't know, like binaural. So grievance is a song when that came out. Mm. I love that song. It's, you know, technology coming online in the surveillance state and pro probably had to do with like the Patriot Act. I don't even know I'm, uh, mm. what, what year, what, what year it came out um, off the top of my head. But uh, so that's something where it's like, Eddie's a liberal guy. I'm a conservative guy. We're both concerned about Orwellian police states and how technology mm -hmm. can be abused. Um, and so it's like, there's common ground that can be had. And I just feel like, I don't know, I guess it gets to the point of music again. It's like, are we just preaching to the choir? Are we, or are we trying to like reach people that disagree with us? And I feel like if he wants to reach people like me and bring me closer to his point of view, uh, like maybe not lyrically just punch me in the face when I didn't do anything to you <laughs> or so. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying he, he always does that or whatever, but there are certain songs where I'm just like, that's low hanging fruit. That's almost kind of like, like we, we talked off the grid about like Bush leaguer. So it's like, I feel like sometimes when you get, into these like very specific names. Very uh, Actually uh, on the new album, um, what was it? Quick Escape. Quick Escape. I was going to get there eventually. Yeah. I love that song. I hate the Trump line. 
and I'm not even like, like I said, I wasn't like a big Trump voter. Like, it, like I didn't vote for the guy in 2016. And so like, it just like, is like a, like a, like a scratch on a record that like takes you out of it where if he's covering something from like the 33,000 cruising altitude, that's liberal. I'm cool with it. But then all of a sudden it just like, you know, all of a sudden you're like, Trump's responsible for like, I don't know, whatever environmental damage throughout the entire world. I'm just like, let me ask you then, because we're kind of getting ahead of where I wanted to get to, but you brought it up. So I'm going to talk about it. They were very critical. And it was very critical of um, Bush. They had the 2004 vote for change tour. There was an obvious agenda there. Um, So obviously you, as you said earlier, would not go to one of those shows expecting to hear anything different. Um, An album is something different because uh, it's just that that's the, that's the, um, that's the art. You don't know what it is until you hear it. This album, very heavy on environmentalism, which I think we, a lot of us can get behind. Right. Um, but obviously very heavy on, on, on Trump. Uh, I would argue that conservative liberal is a, is a discussion and an argument that we will have forever, but that Trump is something outside of that normal disagreement. And so perhaps that calling him out by name is it's it, it's playing outside the normal playbook like Trump is, and therefore it might be okay to them. Does that make sense? So how do you, how would you? I know you said you know you mentioned Bushlager and not and not and not being so narrowed down on it, but wouldn't Trump be the the um, the rule breaker as it were? Yeah, I mean he's definitely. Um in many ways outside the norm. Uh, he's not a career politician. He came from, um, I don't know that on some level he had, he had his apprentice show for, for like 14 seasons or whatever the heck it was. So he's like in that world, but then real estate. And so, yeah, he is. Um, but I guess I, I think of like a, like a song, like, a like megalomaniac, um, incubus song. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a song like that's, that's clearly an anti-Bush song. Um, and I actually, in many ways, I like on some level when Republicans are president and like bands get really angry, <laughs> they come out with some like really awesome songs. And so Megalomaniac's like a great, it is a great song. <laughs> it's, it's just like a, a great song, but it's clearly anti-Bush. And so, but I could get behind it because it's like, I know it, but at the same time, it, he's not like bashing me over the head with it. I, I don't know. I feel like there's just like this moment in time where it just gets too um, on the nose on the, yeah, too on the nose with it uh, where it's just like, Oh, okay. Because then my brain starts thinking of like counter arguments and digging in my heels or defending something that I don't want to defend. Whereas with a general sort of, Oh, this guy's a megalomaniac and he's a dictator, but which then you could go back to like, Hindsight. Now all these people are like, man, George Bush, man, you know, he's, he's friends with like Michelle Obama and they like hold hands at, <laughs> and things like that. I was just, he's clearly was not a dictator. Um, and so that's why like putting his name in there, like makes me think about these things. And it's like, no, then I'm getting into an argument with Eddie that I never wanted to get into while I was listening to the song. Um, but, uh, Quick Escape is an awesome song. And it's like, there's that just one point in the song where I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I could have listened to this like 30 times in a row on repeat. But now because of that one line, it's just like, you know, maybe I'll listen to it like five times. <laughs> I don't know. I find so. it interesting because I think of a song like seven o'clock and, and it's another one of those songs that's very on the nose about Trump. 
And while I tend to agree with the sentiment, I think the song is bad. And so, mm-hmm. so I'm on the reverse side of what you're talking about. But I find it really interesting how you approach a band that whose music you really love and may disagree with. And especially in this time, imagine if they were actually touring right now what they would be doing. It'd probably be very similar to the vote. For they Chance were supposed tour. to be in Oakland, I think it was. And then the pandemic hit and yeah. uh, I wanted to see them in Oakland. And so uh, that would have been interesting to see how, how that went down if it actually happened. Uh, do you think that if you had gone to that and they had gone on some very on the nose rants, would it, would it turn you off? Yeah, probably a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It, because I think if, if they would have just done it for like five minutes, like it's like it's, it's baked into the cake, you know, it's going to happen almost an election year. So like on some level I would be anticipating it and know it's going to happen. And then I'm just like, okay, whatever. Um, but if he just kept doing it like every other song, which I don't think he would do um, like that would be kind of weird. And how, how did you associate? Um, there's a lot of history with them being anti-war. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a song called No More, uh, any number of songs, um, heavy against Bush, heavy against the heavy against the war uh, and war in general. Worldwide Suicide was a great song, too. <laughs> so there you go. So like, you know, Army Reserve, um, how do you being a veteran? And I feel like one could have an, a, a realistic uh, discussion about, you know, military spending and what's, you know, what we need to do with the military as, as far as sending troops out there for certain things and, and how you calculate that kind of thing. Obviously, they don't have time to make those nuanced discussions in a song. Right. So how does that – because that's very personal for you. So how do you square that? those kinds of songs and those kinds of um, uh, diatribes, if you will? Yeah, I mean, with the anti-war stuff, it's one of those things where, again, like pretty much everyone – is anti-war <laughs> like <laughs> I, I mean i'm sure there's people out there that are like weird have like a weird bloodlust or whatever and you could make arguments about political leaders like whatever um but it's one of those things where i understand where he's coming from i understand his motivations so um i got out actually before 9-11 i was in in the 90s and then i got out um in 2000 but my friends all stayed in so i had friends that went to afghanistan iraq my buddy uh, Hector Leha was killed by a sniper in Iraq. My buddy James, um, he went to Afghanistan multiple times and has all sorts of stories. Went to Arlington Cemetery with him like a few years ago. Um, and so when Eddie talks about seeing somebody's name in the paper, he's never going to see him again. He knew this guy. Maybe he didn't think about him for years, but suddenly, boom, this guy he knew in high school or whatever is uh, is like, oh, wow, his obituary. Like, And like, what is this for? What is this war for? Like, I totally get it. And any sort of like the, especially like the lower enlisted guys, like you feel like you're a pawn for, um, political leaders that have their own agendas that aren't necessarily always about um, actually protecting freedom and liberty here at home, <laughs> you know, and it's like, maybe they have other. And so they make the oil argument, which there's a lot of truth to that, you know, like, so um, there's always an element of truth. And then it's just like, well, how much of it is true? How much is, isn't, but there's no way I could get mad at a guy who is just like, I care for the troops and I want them to come home and I don't want them to die for a ridiculous purpose. And, and so to me, 
I'm not going to get mad at Eddie for singing anti-war songs. Do you think it's possible that if that a band like Pearl Jam could actually find a way to unite people across the political divide? Because it feels like I would imagine you and I and Paul are, are on mostly different sides of, of the bridge mm-hmm. on, on a number of things. Um, but it well, fe- I will say I, I was raised Catholic, though. As was I. I, I was an altar yeah. boy. So all three of us understand yeah. Catholic guilt very, very well. Yes. <laughs> but like my point is like, you know, a band like Pearl Jam, you might not subscribe to exactly what Eddie's talking about in a certain song, but it feels like if people are open-minded enough, uh, there can be this, this peaceful living amongst each other and finding common ground. What, what is it about music and Pearl Jam that, that is missing from the day-to-day discussions that, that creates this giant divide that we have right now? The, the one thing that I always liked about Eddie, and so... So the thing is, I grew up kind of like in the 80s. And so there was like the hair metal bands and Poison open up and say, ah, and the sort of like ridiculous, like the women with the high-waisted bathing suits, which I have nothing against, but uh, like just really shallow sort of lyrics about like partying and all this sort of stuff. And then Eddie comes out and you there's this guy who you can see that he's incredibly introspective. He spent a lot of time thinking about things, thinking about the things that he thinks about. And he's putting out these, it's just like a deeper level. And so on, even just on that level, like I don't even care if he's liberal, the guy's actually grappling with big issues, which is missing. And so up until that point in my life, like I think basically like Rush was like the other band that I grew up listening to. That was actually my first concert was a Rush concert. But like these guys that are grappling with philosophical issues and early Rush is, you know, they're Randian objectivist sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, they're but, but then they're all over the map too with, with politics. And so like, I've always appreciated these bands that um, they have the, the lead singer or the writers and they're just kind of deeper. Um, and again, as an old, 41 year old guy, I might not just uh, might not agree with all of their politics, but I've always appreciated that he's trying to get people engaged in civic discourse, yes. uh, as opposed to yes. just like random stupid stuff about like breasts and I don't even know, like drugs and getting wasted or whatever. Well, Doug, um, we want to thank you for, for talking to us because um, I don't think these kinds of conversations happen enough in no. regular society, let alone musical society. But I want to close out with, with some lyrics before we go. And if you want to have to pray, it's all right. We all be thinking with our different brain. Get this off my, pr- my plate. It's all right. I got my own way to believe. It's okay. Sometimes you find yourself having to put all your faith in no faith. Mine is mine and yours is yours. Won't take its place. So if we could all just get along and have these kinds of conversations, wouldn't that be grand? Yeah, no, I think it's it's pretty cool. You could have a podcast and you could have uh, liberal guys and conservative guys and libertarians or whatever, like uh, kind of just talk about Pearl Jam. So yeah, like Pearl Jam's bringing people together. Boom. There you go. <laughs> Love, there's the tagline. Doug, uh, where can we find you? What, what, what are we promoting? I know you have a comic book coming out again, right? 
Sure. I have a comic called Soulfinder Demons Match. It's on iconiccomics.com. And then I have the second installment, which is Soulfinder Black Tide, which will there'll be an iconic exclusive, uh, probably either late November, early December for Christmas ordering. And then in early 2021, I'll have an Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns uh, for that as well. Uh, I It's already going to be printed. It's paid for, but I would like to recoup as much of the cost as necessary. <laughs> so a lot of the crowdfunding campaigns, like they they need that right then and there. I'm just hoping like comics are expensive to make if you want to make them right. And I, w- I would like to at least break even. So and these are about vets that have powers. Is that what you said? Uh, they're combat veterans that became exorcists. So um, they, they became Catholic priests and then they, they, they take on evil that, most people cannot fathom, even other priests. So it's like a major order of exorcists where you essentially have to be a combat veteran be- before you could be recruited into this order. Boom. Oh, that's very cool. It's got a whole world there, man. Yeah, I love it. Well, Doug, thanks a lot, man. And uh, hopefully we can have more cons- more kinds of conversations like this. Yeah, maybe we'll have another political uh, talk down the road. Yes, sir. Would love that. Man, uh, so glad to have Doug on the show. And it- it's obviously proof that... Um, we can have civil conversations. Um, and I don't, obviously I don't think we touched um, very deep on certain things. I think that's actually something that we should uh, consider moving forward with, with people like Doug, because I think actually, yeah. you know, I mentioned it to him at the, at the very end there, you know, a band like Pearl Jam bringing people of different creeds and thought processes together. And there probably is a way to discuss these things and get to a more um, reasonable solution than the, vitriolic yelling that we do across broadband at this point. Sure. And and something that really stands out to me because I really did enjoy the conversation with Doug and, you know, when you stare, and he brought this up when he said there's this frustration in feeling like, you know, people stereotype, you know, all conservatives are this way or all liberals are that way. And the reality is that when, when you stereotype, Uh, others, you become a victim to a stereotype. You know what I mean? And we don't want to victimize each other with stereotypes because they so rarely truly reflect who a person is. You know, I mean, uh, we've all got a song that makes us cry, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, and I think we need to remember that because sometimes I think we, we stare across the aisle and we forget that, that we're all human. Um, and, and that there is a common ground there. And it's just a shame that through various media outlets, we're continue to be pulled apart and see the other side as, as, as an enemy, really. Well, um, you know, we talked about our choices for the most iconic political song in the band's catalog. Um, there's another song that kind of maybe is, maybe it represents the next chapter of politics, or maybe it's the, uh, the bridge to the next um, era, if you will, that is a very political song as well. And it's part of our Lyric of the Week. All right, Paul. Lyric of the Week this week, we're going back to Lightning Bolt and we're doing Infallible.
Okay, Paul, infallible. We know the context of this song. We know the context of this episode. So take me through this set of lyrics you've chosen for us this week. You know, man, we're recording this before election results come out. So, uh, you know, it's, it's likely that anybody listening to this already knows the results or, or even this is being listened to days after the results. Although with, with knowing our system, it'll probably be days of controversial turmoil before anything is revealed. Um, but in any case, I look at these lines here of everything that's possible in the hearts and minds of men when progress could be plausible. In reverse, we curse ourselves by thinking we're infallible. We're tempting fate instead. Time we best begin here at the ending. It really does feel like this election in, in so many ways feels like an ending. Um, uh, it is obviously a, a, of a cycle, but it's, it, it's also an ending to, to what I would say is a very antiquated approach to, to governing people and, and, and ruling as a political party from, from both sides of the aisle. I feel like both sides have a tendency to see themselves as infallible and we're losing so much in the process, namely what's plausible and we're losing um, what's possible and we're losing a much brighter and better future for ourselves and our children. And I'm really hoping that uh, the frustration that led to this election, or I should say that led to charging this election, that it opens up people's eyes to what's really important and finding the common ground that you, myself, and Doug were able to find in whatever you can, whether it's music, um, a hobby, a television show, uh, a comedian, I don't care. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. let's start looking at each other and treating each other like humans again. And let's get back to doing what's right. Um, and we're not always going to agree, but I think the first step is, is, is instead of looking at who's across the aisle from you, we all need to start looking in the mirror at ourselves and we need to remember that we're not infallible. And so th these lyrics I thought were kind of a, a, the most pivotal call to action, or at least for me, they are moving forward without knowing the results of the election. And quite frankly, regardless of what the results are, I would still mm. say that, that, that this is what should be a priority. They're still going to be applicable, I think, yeah, regardless. I think so. Yeah, this song to me is a plea. Uh, it's a plea. It's a warning to those standing in the way of progress. Yeah. Um, of a modern approach to living in a society, a 21st century society, which part of that should just be how many of us approached society, uh, you know, four years ago or, or longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you must look back to history to know how to avoid repeating it. Right. Uh, there's a line in whoever said all the answers will be found in the mistakes we have made. Yeah. That, 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 kind of you can put those lyrics right on top of the lyrics yeah, it's, it's a growth mindset man right you, know? you 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 learn from the mistakes that you make that's what we teach, teach our kids and it it, it's something that mistakes are not are not um valued today they are viewed as weakness and that's mm. not how you get better at anything no um, you have to view them as as learning moments i mean the best coaches say, you know, a loss isn't a bad thing. A loss is a way to get better. Yeah. I mean, failures, it's, it's a bruise, not a tattoo. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, um, it, it, it's something that we have to look at as 
as you know, success is achieved through failure. It, it's not possible without it. That's right. And, you know, it's, it's possible for us as a population, a world population, even to be the best we can, but there are those that, that stand in the way of that progress for a lot of times, very, um, very, uh, selfish reasons. And these people view the past as the best version of ourselves, oblivious to their privilege. Even the mere mention of privilege, by the way, makes certain people roll their eyes, which is ridiculous to me. You know, if, if we've learned anything from the last four years, in my opinion, it's that we are surely tempting fate for sure. And we've had an originalist evangelical uh, judge railroaded through confirmation when the same Senate refused to even take a vote on a Supreme Court nominee within 10 months of, of an election. The incredible hypocrisy is something that is, is, is keeping us from progressing as a society. If we could just play right. by the same rules, we could actually get somewhere. Now, with any luck, again, in my personal opinion, we will start this country again at the end of this current presidency. Those in power are not infallible. And that would apply to somebody wearing a blue tie that was not doing the will of the people. Don't, don't get it twisted. This isn't about Trump. This isn't about Biden. This isn't about Obama or whoever else, Bush. If you are, not, if you are working against the will of the people, if you're doing stuff that's obviously only for yourself and for your friends and you're breaking all the rules and norms to get there, I mean, what else needs to be said? You said it beautifully. Let's go to our live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! Live cut of the week this week of Infallible, obviously Lightning Bolt Tour. Where and when? Uh, we're going home, Jason. We're, we're Ooh, going, I'm going home. Yeah, we're going. We're going to Los Angeles, November 24th, 2013. There were two guys standing on the floor that day. On the floor, that baby. night, actually. Yeah. And, I, and I did not know at that time that you had, uh, your, your wife was with a child. Yes, right. You smuggled exactly. a onesie without I me did. I, I, I bought my daughter a Pearl Jam onesie at that show. Exactly. Uh, and my son actually came home from the hospital in that exact same onesie. Oh, I love it. Uh, you know, five, six years later. So it's really, really cool. Um, you know, when I first heard Infallible, I kind of felt like the opening riff, it, 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 you know, you mentioned the word subdued when talking about Get It Back. It felt kind of weak and subdued. And so it took mm. me a bit to get into it. And there's this weird, what is it, like a clacking sound at the beginning? Like, yeah, that, that percussion I, thing. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I, I, I've never, I, I should look into that. But um, when Mike ripped into this song, live and we were on the floor it thundered in my chest and i remember thinking mother of god <laughs> why it's does it sound life. like that on yeah. the album right and uh i just remember just falling in love with the song it's one of those songs where live it's unbeatable if you had to compare it to the uh the, the, the studio track which obviously will be a, a future episode for us where we talk about which songs we think are played better live versus mm -hmm. uh, ver versus in the studio. This is certainly one uh, little, little foreshadowing to that upcoming episode at some point, whenever we get around to doing that, but um, it just hit, man, it crushed. And so I, I remember thinking, 
I've listened to every version I could find of it. And remarkably, they really nailed that song that night. They really did. And, and I think it was it's it, for me being there, maybe, uh, who knows, maybe I'm biased because I was there. Uh, that's normally not how I operate. You know, yeah. uh, you look at it's one of the few times that I picked a song from a show I was actually at and said, this is the best version. You'll find I can't, I'm it. trying to think of the last time if we'd done that at all. No, I think this is the first time in the show. Yeah, I think it is. So I highly encourage anybody listening, go check out November 24th, 2013, throw on infallible, crank up the bass, put on some headphones (laughs) and kick it up as high as your drums can handle and just like feel it. It's awesome. Well, it was at a, uh, at an arena that no longer exists. The LA sports arena. Uh, yeah. November 24th, the day after, or two days after Thanksgiving, Los Angeles, California.
it was the second of two nights. We always say that odds are that the second show will be better, usually. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember Eddie saying that the reason why they came to play this venue, and they had to play the forum a number of times. Is this another Springsteen reference? It sure is. Call out to Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Dougie! Springsteen told him to play there because the sound was so good. And yeah. uh, it, I mean, it sounded great from where I was standing. Yeah, and... So, more of the reason why it's the best cut you'll find. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. They've never played the bowl. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? Is the, that, that feels I, like a, I, a really obvious choice. for them. I, I think, I, well, I, you know, I don't think they ever go past midnight, but I know there's a hard 12 o'clock cutoff at the bowl. You no, know, they finish at like 1130. Yeah. Right. So I'm, well, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. who knows? Well, anywho, um, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation today. Um, I, Pearl Jam is a very political band. Some of you do not care for that side of things, and we understand why, because it's fucking exhausting. And Doug's a good sport, and he's a good guy, and he and I and Paul probably don't agree on a lot of things. But we can agree to be civil human beings that do want the best for each other. And, you know, talking about all the songs that Pearl Jam talks about, sometimes they're a little bit more opinionated than others, uh, a little more direct in certain songs than others. And, um, but I think obviously the band means well. So I think we should just close by saying what's the most recent thing they've been pushing? It's voting. And if you're waiting in line, or maybe you're at home and it's the morning and you're like, ah, screw this, I'm ultra liberal and I wanted Bernie or, or Liz Warren and Biden doesn't speak for me, or you're a conservative and you're like, ah, I, I can't vote for Democrat, but Trump's crazy, so I'm not going to vote. Just do. You've got you've to find the will to get out there. There are ballot measures. There are local races. And local races are fucking huge, guys. Get out there. Do your civic duty. You'll feel better about it. And you can't complain if you, if you didn't vote. So, yeah. Let's, uh, let's get out there, guys. Uh, be safe out there. Wear your mask when you're voting. Sanitizer. Be safe to everybody else. Don't be an asshole. And we'll see you on the next edition of The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.